Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the Alpo. Thanks for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also lovingly known as Australian Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5 you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits and one-year membership to the Alpo. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, you can go to alpo-astronomy.org. You can also find the Alpo on Facebook. Just search for Alpo Astronomy. And yes, Observer's Notebook also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you, podcast, what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode of it. And now, episode 108 of the Observer's Notebook with Jerry Hubble, and we're talking exoplanets. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. And we have with us today a return visitor, Jerry Hubble, the Lunar Section Coordinator of the ALPO. Welcome back, Jerry. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. Uh, look forward, I always look forward to talking with you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Now, before we get into our topic today, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, so... <clears throat> I'm currently I'm the uh, vice president of engineering for Explore Scientific. That's my day job, mm-hmm. and uh, I've had this job for about not this position, but this I've been working for Explore Scientific since 2013. Um, and I'm a retired uh, nuclear instrumentation and controls engineer. Uh, mm-hmm. With uh, I've got uh, nearly nearly 40 years of experience in the nuclear industry, uh, plus in the uh, electric transmission business also. I did some, I, I took a little uh, hiatus from the nuclear field for my company and worked in the uh, transmission group uh, on the SCADA systems that control the power grid. So I learned all about that stuff. And then I went back to nuclear into the nuclear engineering group and, and worked there for the last part of my career. Uh, we could use you in California to help control our power grids right now. With yeah, right. Well, the, the was, high winds was, we're having. There, I mean, our neighbors yeah. had their power shut down for twenty nine hours. Oh man! Yeah, on Thanksgiving. 
Um, <laughs> really bad. Yeah, not not fun. Uh, no, no. So I was I was in the transmission group during the time of deregulation when we went to uh, uh, these trans and decoupled the transmission from the generation and went through all that process uh, back in the uh, early nine. Uh, it was the late nineties, uh, basically ninety five to two thousand and two or so is when that all happened. So that's kind of cool work that I did then. But mm-hmm. uh, I've, uh, but. Uh, so I, I, after that, I basically, I've retired since then from the, from the, uh, electrical, uh, from the electric utility industry. And, uh, I basically started working for Explore Scientific before I retired. And then I'm, now I'm taking, taking my pension, okay. which is really nice. And, uh, and working full time for Explore Scientific. Great. And, now, how, uh, how is, how's this pandemic been to explore scientific the business side of it it's unfortunately you know with the with the lockdowns people uh are locked down right. uh, but they've got they've apparently had most people have had time to pursue their other interests and that's that's been kind of a boon for the amateur astronomy business mm-hmm. uh and the manufacturers because our 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 sales have gone you know they've doubled or tripled oh, fantastic over the last year uh, people getting into the hobby a lot more. So it's a, I think it's a comfort thing. It's really a great uh, psychological oh. benefit for people to be able to get into their hobbies and especially for the um, astronomy uh, hobby, you know, being able to take your mind off the day-to-day things and look up at the stars and understand what's, you know, help to understand what's going on and to discover things for yourself. That's really always a good thing. There is no stress looking up at the heavens. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Very good. Very good. So my other, uh, so the way I got into astronomy was I started when I was, uh, I'm, I'm 60 years old. So I was, I grew up during the Apollo era, mm-hmm. like a lot of people mm-hmm. in, in my generation and learning about uh, space and the moon. And my first love is the moon in terms of uh, observing the moon and because of Apollo. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I got my first telescope, uh, when I was a teenager, I actually used the telescope a little bit during grade school. We had them in our school and I got to play with them and, and use them some, uh, but not really in, in any serious way. And then until, and then in, uh, when I, uh, was 14, I received a telescope for Christmas. That was my set standard 70 millimeter Tasco, uh, you know, yep. Altaz mounted telescope, which was great. And then later on, I bought myself uh, a nicer uh, 70 millimeter telescope on a gym mount, on the basic manual gym mount. And okay. I used that telescope for quite a few years. And then, so I, I did, I did uh, a lot of observing, uh, mostly bright objects, but, uh, you know, planets and the moon. But I tried some deep sky stuff, but really didn't get into it. I did, mm-hmm. I actually started astrophotography back then where I was taking my Polaroid. I got a Polaroid camera for my birthday and I was taking Polaroid pictures through the eyepiece of the moon. Really? And when I was, uh, in 1976. (laughs) Wow. So I've got some of those stashed away, uh, which is kind of cool. And then, I don't think uh, Polaroid pictures like that age very well, though, do they? No, probably not. (laughs) I haven't looked at them in a while. I need to dig them out and, and see what they are. 
Yeah, but I was I was really into uh, doing observations, and then uh, my first real nice telescope was in I bought in 1987 um, when I was thick into my career and my marriage and having kids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I bought a, a 1987. I bought a Mead 10-inch Smith Cascarain LX5, uh, which was pretty old. It was it was just standard uh, electronic mm-hmm. drive. Uh, but it was, it was, I used that system visually for several years. And then I got out of the hobby after like four years or so. And then I got into flying, finally oh. got my pilot's license and got into flying real heavy after that. And that's then, an expensive hobby. Yeah, but it's great. It's yeah. a, it's a great challenge mental and physically. It's, it, um, if you want a good challenge, mental <laughs> and physical challenge and learn how to fly and fly the airspace that's available to us to fly. It's, it's really one of the most, um, it's, it's, it's really the most freedom I've felt of anything that I do is, 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 is flying, even though you're flying in a controlled airspace, government controlled airspace, mm-hmm. it's really a, a, uh, you feel very free when you're up there flying your own aircraft, you're responsible for your own safety of course, we do that every day on cars, but it's, right. it's a different level when you're up in the sky thousands of feet, you know. <laughs> True. So that's that's why I like about it, and it's just a, a great challenge. Uh, it's very – that being up in the sky along, you know, I'm being up in the sky and then looking at the sky are two mm-hmm. great things. Now, do you still fly? Uh, off and on, not as much as I used to. Yeah. I wish I – I, I, I want to get – back into it but i'm just so busy doing other things so i started uh i was away from i was away from astronomy for until about 2008 and we took a vacation my family took a vacation in colorado and um we we stayed in uh, denver we drove all over the state Mm -hmm. um up and down thick day trips for 10 days we were there and one of the trips I took was to the uh, Chamberlain Observatory in Denver. And uh, I got to talk to the observatory director there and got to see the equipment. It's, it just it was one of the things on the list of I uh, made up the itinerary of what things we were going to do. And I, I ran across that. I said, man, I'd, I'd like to see that observatory. Mm-hmm. I had I'd visited other observatories during my college days, but uh, but that was cool. So that kind of sparked my interest again to get back into astronomy. And I started getting, checking out what technology was available. I'd been like, you know, 20 years, 15, 20 years since I'd really gotten into astronomy. And I didn't know what the technology was like at that point. And then I was really flabbergasted on the improvements. And I should have realized because I knew what improvements the flying technology, you know, Mm -hmm. the instruments had improved over the years. So I figured, well, that's got to happen with astronomy. And it finally came to pass that you could do real science with uh, as an amateur astronomer in terms of, you probably do it before, but it was a little more difficult. Right. But I was really heavy into doing this um, asteroid minor planet observations and measurements. Okay. And doing astrometry, measuring the positions of the uh, asteroids and calculating orbits and stuff like that. That was one thing that really turned me on uh, about and getting into the, getting back into astronomy. I really wanted to do that, learn that science. So that's where I started back into it back in uh, 2008, 
Great. Now the topic we're going to talk about today has been bouncing around the board of the Alpo for uh, probably better part of a year. And that is exoplanets. Uh, right. Whether, right. whether we want to start a section at, in the Alpo or not. In fact, you came on, I think, um, about 20 episodes ago and talked about the exoplanet work you were doing. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And that, that sparked about a year or two ago. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that sparked a conversation I had with some of the board members. I said, well, do you guys want to do an exoplanet section? And, you know, because this is every, every section in the Alpo is based in, in within our solar system. Right. Right, it's our solar so system. This has mm-hmm. taken a huge step out of that box. Right. So, right. You know, what's your what's your opinion of this? Well, I I uh actually I started talking to Dr. Mike Reynolds about mm-hmm. two years ago about it. Uh, when I oh. first because I got into exoplanet observing almost three years ago. Uh, I took the AAVSO course Dennis Conte gave on exoplanet observing. I had, previous to that I had found. Bruce Gary's book. I don't know if you've got a link to that or not. I think previously you may have some links that I sent previously, but there's, but Bruce Gary was a pioneer in doing uh, uh, exoplanet observations with small telescopes. I don't, I hate the word amateur astronomer, even though that's a great term because we love the hobby, you know, we love astronomy and that's why we do it. But again, I don't like this to, separate the difference between amateurs and professionals we're all astronomers right so in terms of that we do astronomy with small telescopes and and others do astronomy with large telescopes (laughs) and we spend more time at the telescopes than the professionals do right and we actually have to tinker and build our systems and make them work uh where they have engineers and, and other people to do the work for them they don't really learn the ins and outs of how the equipment works like we do uh, in some respects. So yeah. Yeah, they, are, they, are, they know how it works. I'm, I'm not saying they do right. I'm just saying right. they don't work on it directly. <laughs> right. Now to back up just a minute, exoplanets, for those listeners that might not know what they are, they're planets that are orbiting other stars. Right. That's put it simply, right? And exoplanets is a shortcut way of saying extrasolar planet. <laughs> it, okay. That's exactly right. So what, when I say that the Alpo has always looked at within objects that orbit our sun, our star, now we're looking, we've expanded the organization to look at other planets orbiting other star systems. And that's right. where you come in because you were selected to head up the exoplanet. Yeah, I was, right. I was fortunate enough to, uh, uh, well, we talked about it and mm-hmm. then and and then, uh, like you said, about a year, at least a year ago, I think it was a few mm-hmm. episodes ago, quite a few episodes ago. Yeah. And then uh, I figured, well, we'll just start pushing this idea and see if we can come up with some good reasons for us to do it. They're already uh, like uh, AAVSO has an exoplanet uh, section mm-hmm. already. And they they deal with variable stars. So it kind of makes sense. That's another type right. of variable stars due to exoplanets. It's like a... It's almost like a subsection of, uh, of a binary star system, except the binary or the other, the other bodies that are in orbit are smaller than a second star. They're, they're, and they don't give off their own light. So, right. but it's similar in, in that regard. Uh, for us, um, it's a totally different, uh, it's coming from of that. They're, they're coming at from this variable star 
position. We're coming at from the fact that we're a group that studies uh, lunar and planetary objects. Right. Right. So that's so that got me thinking. Well, we're we're Alpo. We're the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Uh, exoplanets are planets. Why don't we observe them and and our members go. contribute? So that was my initial thinking about why we should be doing it as a separate organization. There are, like I said, there are other organizations that do this work with their members. Uh, the uh, I've been looking at the uh, British Astronomical Association. Um, they've they've got an exo, they've actually got an exoplanet. Uh, a section that they added a year ago or almost two years ago, I think it is. And uh, a, a fairly famous uh, minor planet observer, Roger Dymock, mm-hmm. heads that group. Uh, because I think that's because uh, observing transits, um, exoplanet transits, is similar. The techniques are similar, although they're, they're different in, in a lot of major respects. They're very similar to m- measuring ast- minor planet light curves. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there are some differences, but again, uh, and and we're talking about using the same equipment that people use pretty much for their not not just for science imaging, but also pretty picture imaging. You can use a similar or same equipment to do science that you do uh, beautiful images with. Uh, also. There's some tweaks and some techniques that you learn. So the differences are in the techniques. But overall, the reason that we need to, uh, that I thought we should have an exoplanet group section in our organization is because uh, there's two drivers. One is that the professionals that get paid to do science all the time, astronomy science, their, their equipment is discovering thousands of these objects they're just they're in the discovery mode mm-hmm. okay? and i'm involved a little bit with that and we'll talk about that later but uh they they require all these objects require a lot of follow-up work and uh and that's where we come in and the more the merrier we need to do follow-up work we need to we have plenty of objects to observe we have not everybody has all the opportunities in the world to observe them so we spread this work around and get people trained up that are interested. That's that's a good thing. So more the more the way I look at it, the more the merrier in terms of the different groups that are involved. Um, that's that's true. Yeah, and it's the the I don't think the, I think the last section the Alpo added was our meteor section, which oh is, really which oh, is study, studying meteors that have landed right. on the Earth. Which is we had the same discussion with that section started too well it's lunar and planetary but these are things that are on the earth you know yes. it's, it's also looking at well where these meteors came from and what's their origin and things like that so it's it's but this you know the, in the last 10 years the search and discovery of exoplanets has really been one of the most excited things to happen because it's showing us that there are other planets circling other stars that's right that's right uh, and and that's that's a big part of this, you know. Not that uh, not that the other sections that we have in the in the uh, association are are old. They yeah. are old in terms of the the history of the 
observations, but anything we can do to bring new and exciting ways of doing things, even to, you know, the, for example, you know, uh, we've had great technology over the last 20 years that's allowed uh, reinvigoration of Jupiter and Saturn and mm -hmm. the other planet of, because of the webcam and the software we have available to do really, really high resolution imaging from the, oh, the images of Mars just went through opposition and, and the images that we're looking at now taken from earth of Mars rival any image that we saw from spacecraft years before. Oh yes. Yes. It's just amazing, amazing ingenuity of amateurs and professionals to bring right. this technology. And, uh, and so there's, there's other ways to reinvigorate our sections. That's one of them is to bring new technology to the picture mm -hmm. where you can add. And, and we've done that also with the lunar section. I've, I've tried to, and several times I've pointed out some of the tools that are available to do lunar, uh, uh, not just imaging and high resolution imaging, but also measurements. Mm -hmm. And that's what the lunar terminator visualization tool, the LTVT tool that we have available on the uh, site, on the lunar section uh, page. That's uh, that's something that uh, to me has really been a cool thing to be able to do actual measurements from our images and to, you know, just to understand and learn more about uh, the topography of the moon. You know, that's what it's all about. Right. And uh, so in this way, we, we we're bringing new technology, but we're also bringing in a new, a brand new, um, class of objects that we previously had not been able to understand or observe at all as, as uh, small telescope operators. Now you mentioned that the work will be similar to what's done with the minor planet section, light curves and things like that. And the difference is yeah. minor planets, the light curve is not it passing in front of another object. It's the rotation of the minor planet to help identify the rotational period of the planet, minor planets. And also it's uh, geometry. That's right. That's, that's really uh that's really a neat thing. When I first learned how to do that, I just thought it was amazing. It's, you know, it's amazing totally what we can do with just <laughs> simple uh, light measurement. You know, it's just yep. so much, so much into uh, information in that light. Not just, you know, spectroscopy is a huge thing. No. That's what started astrophysics is spectroscopy. Uh, but but even just simple light brightness measurements, photometry, you can learn so much about an object uh, and different things. And, and you so you take the measurements and the data and you apply some critical thinking. And now all of a sudden you, you understand a whole lot about what the object is, even if it even if you just gaze at it and it just looks like a spot of light, a little dot, mm -hmm. it's just amazing over, you know, what you can do. So that's what we bring to the picture here. Uh, like you said, minor planet observing has got a long history in the uh, small telescope field. People doing this work actually discovering until about 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, people were regularly discovering new uh, minor planets with small telescopes. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, you know, we need to understand what objects are out there because of the dangers to the earth. But, uh, mm. I think the discovery phase for, uh, 
for most amateurs is out of the picture unless you have access to a very large telescope. Somehow. That's true. And light curves and, and the difference uh, magnitude of these objects really came to light about a year ago with Betelgeuse. A lot of people discovered oh, yeah. that th this type of uh, effect happens in our night sky and it's common. And it right, just, right. I mean, we did a podcast specifically just on Beetlejuice because I was getting tons of questions on it too. I said, I just got to do something on this. So it's, it's it, it, doing light curves and it's fairly simple, isn't it? Yes, it is. And the key thing, the key thing that I think the exciting thing about it is that, you know, most people get into astrophotography. They start with the beautiful images because they're so spectacular to look at and to actually create your own gather the photons yourself and create the image it's great but then it's it's kind of static too you people start to understand that they want to see changes in the yeah. observable universe they don't want to just see it static objects they want to see actual changes that are that impact that happen right now or for us right now you know it's happened in the past but it's but we did we detect it and measure it right now that's so that to me is the biggest thing that drives science is is measuring changes in the dynamic universe and the fact that our universe is dynamic and our solar system is dynamic and we can actually see the, the dynamism of the, of the solar system through our own personal observations. That's what's cool about it. Yeah. Now what type of equipment are we talking about that people are going to need to help contribute to this section? So the equipment, uh, we, most people have the technology today to do these measurements. Uh, there's, there's, I would say 90, 90 to 95% of it. There's some technique involved. There's some analysis involved and other things to learn. But the typical uh, astrophotographer that's out there using small telescopes, and we're talking small. I use a six and a half inch refractor. Mm -hmm. uh, a six and a half inch, inch telescope. Uh, and, and the thing, the reason is because these the, uh, exoplanet stars, the host stars are are fairly bright and that that's what's geared towards the new that and we've had two science nasa missions specifically for exoplanets the first one was kepler mm -hmm. which uh observed a, a patch of space in cygnus that was that was a long-term study and survey of that that area of the sky just focused on that and then you've got tests just completed there Right. We're, uh, they're starting a second phase of the mission or second, a uh, second mission that mirrors the first mission where they observed, uh, the southern and northern hemisphere. Um, uh, and then, uh, but those were discovery missions and they were, um, they were, uh, the thing about the test mission, especially, is that they were focused on the closer, brighter stars, okay, which lends itself to smaller telescopes. And in fact, the test mission satellite um, used <laughs> used four four wide field telescopes that were four inches in in uh, aperture. Really? Yeah. So the discovery phase was using these small telescopes. You know, that means that amateurs can observe these same objects that they detect. Now they're uh, they were very wide field telescopes because they're doing all sky survey, okay. 
and uh, they were kind of like the finder scope for new exoplanets. They just detected transients, but they couldn't, because of the plate scale of the images, there was they couldn't determine exactly which star had the exoplanet. And they looked for they looked for fairly generic uh, changes in the brightness of the star over time, and they could not determine directly from the test data. Um, whether it was a, a variable star, whether it was a uh, eclipsing binary, which is really an eclipsing binary looks very similar to a uh, exoplanet, except in certain very specific respects. Uh, so there was no way to know. So you, so the test mission necessarily always had a follow-up mission, ground-based follow-up uh, portion of the of the science mission also. Uh, which, which was the first spe- specifically, I don't, I, I don't know if it's the very first, but it, it was one I first I've heard about that NASA specifically said we will be enlisting, we will be enlisting, uh, ground-based observations as part of this mission and we will be inviting amateurs directly to provide support for mm. the follow-up mission. And, uh, and that goes on today. So the follow-up mission is not just to verify objects that test initially discovered, okay, to, to say, yes, this is an exoplanet, or no, this is an eclipsing binary. Tests, tests also require the data that um, once you do this discovery and you say, yes, it's an eclipsing binary, I don't, you can put it in your eclipsing binary program, or it's an exoplanet, we need follow-up. You need follow-up work from the ground for long-term because the ephemeris of the exoplanet might change from the initial observations. We want to see changes in the orbit uh, of the exoplanet itself. And it's similar. It's very similar to what we do with minor planets today. You do follow-up measurements of minor planets to make sure you nailed the orbit down and you know, and you don't lose track of it, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of what could happen with exoplanets. If you don't nail down the orbit period, orbital period, especially for longer-term exoplanets that uh, that are not just days between uh, you know day you, some most uh, of the exoplanets that have been discovered have very short uh, orbital periods of you know a week ten days two weeks maybe three oh, you know, a month something like that but that's based on the cadence of the discovery there could be very well be exoplanets that you could detect in those same systems that have orbital periods of a year to two years you know whatever and they'll be discovered in the future. And so you don't want to lose track of those because you don't have very much opportunity to observe those very often. So you really need long-term follow-up work on all these exoplanets. I take have. it that's one of the goals of the section. That's right. That's exactly right. So the main goal, well, one of the major goals is to provide tools to the membership, tools and techniques to the membership to provide effective follow-up observations to help refine the ephemeris ephemerides of the uh of the planets when i'm Are talking you- about orbital period you know um and nail down changes in you know refinements of the size of the planet and the mass and all that stuff you can effectively do those measurements as an amateur now, are you going to have a handbook available to members of the section or some training available? Yeah, there's going to be both uh, a handbook. Uh, I've actually done quite a bit of uh, writing on this because uh, 
we run, uh, I'm involved with a remote observatory that we built here. It's been mm-hmm. in operation for about five years called the Mark Slade Remote Observatory. And I, and three years ago, we started a, uh, we joined uh, the test mission follow-up team uh, as a group to provide these type of observations for tests for the test mission. And I wrote a, uh, a bunch of procedures and some other things. And uh, I'll be turning that information into a, a handbook for the um, uh, AOPO. Okay. Uh, that It's going to take some more work. I've, I've, it's fairly complete. There's some other procedures. It's, it's a lot of detailed technical information. I do have some training that I've held. I've actually done quite a bit of uh, Zoom sessions with our membership with our, uh, I'm sorry, with our team uh, to train people how to use, how to do the observations is one thing, right? The analysis is a whole nother thing. So there's two, two sides of the coin. You, you can do the observations, make effective observations and get the data that's, that's required. Uh, and then when you, then you do the analysis to do the modeling of the planetary system and see how the, the observations you took match the model, the, uh, the existing model. If there's changes to the model in terms of, like I said, the size of the planet or what that you measured in the, uh, in the uh, midpoint time of the transit, all that type, the ingress and egress time and all that stuff, just similar. It's almost, it's identical to measuring a, a Venus transit or mm-hmm. Mercury transit uh, in terms of the, you know, those types of parameters. Um, but it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. I'd like to offer you up too, because we have a YouTube channel and if you have, if you've got videos, oh, yeah. Of you, create, yeah, we can create videos of, of how to do things. Yeah. Sure with, uh, I mean, with the uh, Mark Slade remote observatory, we can demonstrate that would be incredible techniques. Yeah. That would be, that would be great. Yeah, okay. We can do that. Great. 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 Put that on your calendar. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One more thing to do. <laughs> That's right. I actually did this. We did a uh, um, explore scientific. We our Facebook page in mm-hmm. in November of uh, I think it was in November of 2018. Was it? Think about this. Yeah, it was in November of 2018. I did a we did a live program where I was going to demonstrate the Mark Slade Remote Observatory, and I actually was doing an exoplanet measurement live on the air. Oh, doing, wow. doing observations and uh, got that going. And, I, and actually, that was one of the better observations I did. We, we were able to capture a complete light curve and do some really good measurements. And I, I think I shared that observation with you the last time. Yep. Did I yeah. send you the the uh, presentation I did? Yep. It yep. was uh, Exoplanet Hat 16 Bravo, Hat 16B. And uh, it turned out very well. Yeah, very good. That very video good. is floating out there on Facebook somewhere. I can probably, I can probably find it. Okay, and uh, we can maybe link to it for people to watch. Yeah, that'd be great. Also, mm-hmm. that'd be great. So, um, just uh, just a side question: when we're observing these exoplanets, what's the variance in magnitude we're talking about? Oh, yeah. So this is very important. So typical. I'm just going to say typical variable stars, uh, like eclipsing binaries. Mm-hmm. You can have magnitude changes of, uh, you know, at a minimum of a half to one magnitude up to two or three magnitudes. Okay. It's very noticeable. 
uh, on minor planets, I've measured uh, even a large minor planet. I've measured, uh, I think it was number Flores or number nine or I think it was number nine. I can't remember exactly, but it was a fairly large round, uh, roundish, I guess I should say, minor planet. It wasn't one of the smaller ones that are really brick shaped or really have a, a a big light curve. So this one I was measuring and I thought it was going to have a fairly shallow light curve, but it turned out to be 0.4 magnitude change, mm. even with this larger asteroid minor planet. And that kind of surprised me a little bit. So that's the range we're in there, like uh, uh, 0.4 magnitude, okay, okay. which is like a, um, I'm trying to say how it is. It's like a 40% change in light. Right. Okay. Now, exoplanets are around uh, 1% to 2% change okay. in light. All right. Which, and when we and we get down that low, we measured in millimags or thousandths of a magnitude. And so, typical exoplanets can be Jupiter-sized ones, or like one to t- or around two, twenty millimag, I should say, two percent or twenty millimag. All right. Some of them can be down around one uh, ten millimag. Okay. Uh, the typical variable star, when you measure the star uh, brightness. A precision of one percent is considered excellent on the, especially with small telescopes. Okay, so if you can measure the magnitude of a of a star within to one percent, you're doing excellent work. We're talking about five times better than that. Mm. Okay, in terms of precision. Again, with a small telescope. Right. Um, and uh, if uh, any of your viewers had not or listeners had not heard or listened to the previous program. I, I, uh, I don't want to get into it uh, heavy right now, but I developed a, uh, a technique that was pioneered by universities using a new instrument to do this small, uh, high precision measurement, photometric, photometric measurement, uh, using a new instrument. And, uh, we can talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. That's the defocus, right? That's the, well, there's two. That's the diffuser method. Okay. The defocus. You can do defocus method to get uh, partway there, but again, you can't. Okay. There's a lot of uh, issues with that. But we can link. Uh, I, I, we look. We wrote a paper about it that we can link uh, to this broadcast. I think you had linked it before on yep, the other broadcast. But yeah, I, ha- I have it. I have it queued up to be linked on this one too. Right. So there's techniques. There's very specific techniques that. Uh, that you can use to do this follow-up work and do high precision measurements to see changes in the magnitude down to around three, two to, you know, I've got, I've gotten up to a a precision of, of around one millimag total, total precision, uh, depending on how you uh, use a measurement. Now you're saying that most amateurs already have this equipment to measure this. Not to this level. Okay. <laughs> okay. Not to this level. This is brand new stuff. Okay. This is pine. This is this is uh, cutting edge technology for our for our use and also for big telescope use. Also. Okay. Uh, yes. So, with with uh, so if you if today if 
any any astrophotographer out there that uses his equipment that's got a standard rig that's got a nice fairly good size eight inch let's say they've got an eight inch smith cast screen they've got a nice astro camera that's got a thermoelectric cooler on it they've got they they can do photometry let's say they've done some variable star photometry or they've done some minor planet photometry um they can they can do these measurements uh for exoplanets and get and using standard defocus technique and just other techniques that they use to do photometry they'll they can maybe see some of the larger exoplanets they can do some exoplanet work but not a whole lot in terms of some of the ones that are available that are 10 millimags or less in terms of uh, amplitude light change amplitude and you got to realize we're trying to we're trying to get rid of a lot of a lot of sources of noise and error in this measurement and it's all it's all noise and it's just different factors involved in the noise and i get into that in my paper on what's involved with correcting and compensating for this these sources of noise to get the precision to where we need it so that's that's what's involved in the techniques. It's it's actually a new instrument. Uh, you can you can learn the techniques. You can do you can learn a lot of the analysis with existing equipment. But but to be able to do the actual measurement on on specific exoplanets that are that have uh, um, they call it, um, I'm trying to think they have the depth the depth of the uh, transit is around 2% to 1%. You can wow. you can basically detect that there's an exoplanet. Now, the, the, the next thing after you detect an exoplanet is to do the actual precision measurement to be able to model the system, okay? Mm-hmm. To be able to take that data and say, okay, this is the size of the exoplanet because we've done a precision measurement of this depth, you know? One thing is to see it dip. One, the other one is to measure it precisely. Okay, so that's what's involved with uh, this follow-up work, and and also to measure uh, the precise value for the ingress and the egress, and to be able to detect that precisely, that takes a little bit of work also, um, and to measure the midpoint time, which is the basically the orbital periods based on the midpoint time of the transit. Okay, now this section is not going to focus on discovering these objects it's no, going to no, focus, this, it's going to focus on monitoring already known that's right, that's right. Okay. do the follow up that's that's the purpose of the section is to do follow up work on exoplanet uh, okay mhm so are you working closely with uh, a professional astronomer in this field i've been working with uh, over the last couple of years uh, uh our team at the Mark Slade Remote Observatory is a member of the TESS uh, mm-hmm. follow-up uh, working group. Okay. And we're a member of the SG-1 group, a subgroup of that, which is the Seeing Limited. It's, it's called the Seeing Limited uh, subgroup. And uh, basically what that means is that uh, you, can do, you can do observations that are only limited by your local seeing. Uh, and I'm talking about scintillation. If you don't know what seeing is, it's a scintillation of the stars. And there's ways around it. There's uh, refractive uh, error in the scintillation that causes scintillation. But again, we've, we've developed techniques and tools to, to get around that. Okay. 
Okay. But again, we're always limited to seeing limited because they're they're actually uh, visual type of uh, light measurements. They're not uh, they're not spectroscopy measurements. They're not. They're just photo photometric, basically ground based photometric measurements is what the seeing limited group is all about. And uh, I've worked with them. Uh, the the leader of that that team is her name's Karen Collins. She wrote uh, she was involved with the with the writing and uh, I think she was a principal investigator for creating a, an analysis tool for exoplanets and actually other light curve system light curves you want to analyze called Astro Image J, which I think I referred to um, mm. in the previous broadcast. So that. That's the major analysis tool that we use that will be provided to members. It's okay. a freely available program. Oh, wow. And, uh, and there's a lot of doc, good documentation on it, and we'll be providing some training materials uh, for using that analysis tool to do the analysis. And then there's another group I've been working with the past year. Uh, uh, it's, it's based in JPL, sponsors it. It's called... Um, uh, Exoplanet Watch, mm -hmm. and it's a citizen science program that JPL Dr. Um, Robert Zellum is the uh, head of that group, and um, I'd have to find the web page for it. But I've been involved with uh, with that group some. They've they've developed an analysis tool uh, that's been in development over a year now. Uh, that's available. To freely use online and that's another tool that people can use to do analysis i'm i'm um i haven't gotten into that analysis tool as much as i have astro image j so that's another uh, analysis tool that we'll probably be developing some procedures and some guidelines for and some other things based on already what's available out there uh to do the analysis but the major thing that I worked on with the MSRO is the observation side, how to do the observations, how to do the measurements and okay. uh, get the data ready for analysis, basically. Okay. And all the analysis will be done by the Alpos as well, or are you going to? Yes. Yeah. Okay. No. So the goal is to get everybody trained up, all the membership that's, that's interested, trained up to do not just the observations, but the analysis because the professionals just want uh, the final analyzed data results right. and uh and then it's just like it's it's almost just like on the minor planet bulletin are you familiar with that yes with the minor planet section yep. you know there's reports that come out about observations that they do we do on the minor planets and uh it's basically a summary of the observation and the results that's basically what we want to get to in this section also to be able to do that okay yeah, I can see how this really would benefit the Alpo too, and it's it's visibility in the uh, professional and amateur community. Right, right, exactly. It's just another way of us to attract membership and to right. say, yes, we we can uh, we have these programs. We we have uh, people that are interested in and and we have tools available to help you learn how to do this work. Yeah. Now, if people want to become a member of this section obviously they have to be members of the alpo first um and what type of communication will you have with uh people that contribute to the section well that's kind of what i'm i'm 
I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm kind of modeling this after the lunar section since I'm um, familiar with the lunar section, but it's very probably similar to the other section. So we're going to have a we're going to have a, a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, which okay. right now I've I've named it the Exoplanet Observer to to model it after other sections. The name mm-hmm. like the the Minor Planet Observer and the uh, the uh, lunar lunar uh, the Lunar Observer is another newsletter that's by the Lunar Section. So this one right now is called the Exoplanet Observer. I know it's probably not the most fancy <laughs> name or the most, uh, you know, catchy name. But again, it's it's exactly what it is. It's it's about the Exoplanet right. Observer. And uh, and so we'll have that. We'll have uh, uh, the website that's on part of the ALPO website. We'll have that section website, which will have links to tools It'll have, um, I'd like to be able to do uh, uh, links to data sources, data catalogs, you know. I'd like to be able to have a uh, a way to post observations, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like what we do right now in the lunar section and other sections, we have imaging a gallery. Uh, I think the minor, I'm not sure, the minor planet, center takes the data for the minor planets so you can go there to find all the data that that alpo members uh provide right mm-hmm. we don't i mean there's uh there's ways we can provide and this is part of the part of the tools also that we'll provide is how to report your observations to these professional groups that take the data like like uh the test mission like uh there's other there's other groups out there that will take the uh, these observations. The AAVSO has developed a database to take observations of minor planets. We may decide to contribute to their database. Uh, I'm not sure. We will have to see what our members think about in the future about having our own local database of i mean we're going to have something that we're going to say these are the observations we did right and they'll be sent to the other other everybody else in the world that wants our data basically is what it'll be and we'll have to work out procedures and methods for that uh for any of the groups that we'd identify that want to take our data and the data will also observations will also be published published in the journal correct yes exactly right mm-hmm. okay they'll be yes exactly so when do you think you'll be kicking off officially kicking off the section where you have all your little all all your plans and your documentation set up well the i'd like to start off earlier rather than later so mm-hmm. all the documentation may not be 100 percent complete in fact i know it won't be 100 percent complete what we what we like to do the first i think the first quarter of next year will be the kickoff quarter where we'll we'll start advertising it and getting people to join up and then and then we'll get people we'll probably I don't know. I've got a, I guess I'd, I'd like to uh, appoint an assistant coordinator. One, two, three. I'm not sure. I know there's different, there's different sections. There's different subsections to the exoplanet section that I'd like to have. Maybe okay. one's, one's uh, the observing section or the observing group and the exoplanet section. One's maybe the instrument and equipment group. And then the other one, might be the analysis group. Yeah, you because know, everybody like that. Not everybody that makes observations like to do like likes to do the analysis. Right. right. Yeah. And some and some people right, exactly. And That's then some true. people that just want to do analysis and take our data and do the analysis for us. So 
that would be good. Uh, the people are interested in these different parts of it. <coughs> and, uh, and there's probably going to be a, uh, a group for uh, reporting. You know, mm-hmm. who's going to create the final reports to send off to the, all the other groups that want our data. So I'm thinking it's going to be something like that. Now, I, I don't know how many people are actually going to be committed to joining and doing doing whatever needs to be done for this this section. That's what we're that's what this first year is about. I think right. is seeing how much how much we can get done in the first year. But again, it's going to be taken. It's going to take a group effort. I'd like to appoint at least two um, assistant coordinators to start with. Uh, to help with the workload. Uh, I've got a lot of material that's available that I can send to everybody that's interested and okay. get their feedback on it. Uh, but we need to, uh, and I'm probably first thing I'm going to do is develop an outline for all of our documentation and uh, the different parts of the documentation and the training. That's, that's, that may take a, you know, also a training uh, assistant training coordinator or something, you know, assistant right. coordinator for training. I mean, it's a it's a lot of it is a lot of work. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with other sections on what they've had to do uh, to get something like this started. Uh, of course, a lot of our stuff was started a long time ago. Right. So, well, modeling after the lunar modeling after the lunar section is a good idea because they've yeah. they're doing a really good job. On yeah, there's a lot of right. There's a lot of different. Uh, uh, coordinators there, assistant yeah. coordinators to do things. And, uh, but I think a big part of this, this, at least at the beginning of this exoplanet section is going to be training. Mm-hmm. I think that's just to get people up to speed. That's going to be a big part of the mission for the group. I agree. Uh, I agree. Wow. This is great. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I know. I want to enlist your help on it. I don't know. Sure. Do you want to be an assistant coordinator? Uh, we'll talk about that offline. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few things. I, I'm still working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, too. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to add about the section or yourself? Uh, let me see here. So I think a big part of convincing the ALPO board of directors was uh, talking about what are the benefits to the members? What are mm-hmm. the benefits to the ALPO? You know, we talked a little bit about that, you know, this provides another amb- avenue to promote uh, the ALPO and provide uh, another way to recruit members to the organization. Uh, you know, and it's another way to highlight the work, the good work that the ALPO members do. True. Very uh, true. Part of the organization. Um, the other thing I think for members, you know, the member benefits of joining this, uh, this group is of course the newsletter. They'll get the monthly newsletter mm-hmm. and understand and get, and, and the newsletter is going to be a little bit different, uh, than the lunar, uh, observer. I'm going to include, like I said, major sections for, uh, the observations that we receive, that's always going to be the thing. And then we're going to have an equipment section, uh, technique section, equipment oh. techniques. And then we're going to have, um, you know, maybe, um, 
uh, some other sections like the training for sure. We're going to have a training section where we'll go over a topic each month about how to do either the observations or the analysis, that type of thing, I think. And that's going to be, this is all in the newsletter. In the newsletter, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's no charge for the newsletter. No charge for the newsletter. As long as you're a member uh, of other the than joining joining an ALPO membership, right? That's and that's only eighteen dollars a year. So yeah, that's that's if, cheap as dirt. That's, that's that's like two cups of coffee. It, it should be. It probably should be raised to twenty five dollars a year. I, I I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll put that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's it, it's. Oh, an we, exciting I know we got section. a lot of members that that are a great you know membership. We don't want to make it costly for people to join and to contribute. That's true. That's true. And this is an, an exciting new endeavor for the organization, which really is very exciting. Yes. Yes. And I think we so, picked the right, yeah. I think we picked the right guy for the job too. Well, I appreciate that. I've, uh, nothing's turned me on in astronomy since asteroids sent, you know, since I got into exoplanets. I mean, they're just really, of course it's new and exciting. It's uh mm-hmm. alien life possibility type stuff. It's like, you know, Star Trek type stuff, you know, it's, Yep. It's really the why people are interested in space and science to begin with, probably. It with from science fiction. Yeah, we were talking before we we, we started recording. Today was the test launch oh, of, yes. the, of the SpaceX uh Starship. Yeah, that was awesome. And I the, I don't know the, the YouTube feed I was watching had uh, I was 142,000 people watching and it was not NASA's feed. It was not SpaceX's feed. It was just some guys that got webcams out there and put them yes. on the site. You're watching yes, this. That's... And it's just like 142,000 people watching a test of a rocket. Yeah. Right. And I was yeah. on this, I was watching this for four hours. <laughs> it's just like... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. The interest is there. Oh yes, and it's just like we just need to grab these people—people uh, uh, people that are interested in actually doing some science with modest amateur astronomy equipment, right? With with fairly modest equipment. That's right. Yeah. And we're trying to. And my goal, and my goal, our goal as part of Explore Scientific. I don't mean to to push our company and our equipment, no, but our goal it. as a company has always been to push the technology down, uh, high value technology down into lower. Uh, cost realm so more people can have access to it it's all about access to the technology and the techniques and the ideas uh that's what our company is all about and that's what i that's what i'm all about uh, well and, and i know scott roberts has been on the podcast before he's a yes. great guy i've, I've known him for many 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 years back to rtmc days when he was oh, yeah. lead. and you guys do a uh uh, a video chat almost every day. Oh yeah, we do a daily show. Yep, and uh, it's called the uh, Open Go To Community Explore Alliance is our is our uh, mm-hmm. program, uh, our our channel, and we do. Uh, I su- I support our customers on a broadcast that we do called Open Go To Community for mm-hmm. the PMC eight system. Great system, I've got it. Oh yes, I appreciate that. I know. Uh, it still works for you, right? Still works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a. I, I'm just. Uh, I just love the fact that I had the opportunity to design and build that system. It's just amazing. Yeah, I had issues early on, but I think. Uh, oh yeah, it was a lot operate. of people do have issues. It was it's, operator because it's, it's not like any other system. Right. Exactly. You know, and, you, and it was yep. mostly operator error. I think at that point. <laughs> well, it's it's hard for some people. I mean, 
for a lot of people to get their heads wrapped around the uh, the concepts that I've introduced in the controller mm-hmm. compared to what's been out there for decades, basically. Right. Uh, it's just a different way of doing things, and it. it kind of, I don't want to compare myself to SpaceX because that's not at all a comparable thing. But, but again, they do it different than NASA, and I do right. it different than everybody else. True. True. Well, Jerry, this has been a real pleasure having you on the podcast again. Well, I appreciate it, Tim. It's uh, yeah, I love uh, talking about this stuff. And, and uh, maybe next year when the section gets up and running, and you've got some results to share, you can come back on. Yeah, we can actually get on, uh, maybe in February and talk about how the uh, startup is going with the group and what we've got in place and stuff like that, and where people can go, you know, have more concrete things available for people to download and to look at and to understand. That's great. Maybe you can do some demonstrations live on our YouTube yeah, we channel can, as well. Yeah, we can do that too. We can start thinking about what we want to do for videos, and those can be part of our training system too, these videos. Sounds like a plan. All right, sir. Well, you have a excellent holiday season. Stay you safe. Too. Yep. Thanks a lot, Tim. All I right. appreciate it. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Observer's Notebook. I really want to thank Jerry Hubble for coming on the podcast. And I'm really excited about this exoplanet section. I want you all to check it out. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and the Amazon Echo. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the Alpo, and also producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thank you very much, gentlemen. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is available in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at cometman at cometman.net or you can grab me over at the Twitter at at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening and stay healthy.